once I seal the device works properly, then release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. You realize what will happen? Oh, yes. Do you? First, the polarity of the neutron flows, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity! Keep back! And welcome to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast where sometimes it's like getting blood from a stone finding the gay in this old, old show, and sometimes you're in the stones of blood. My name is Rosie, and my pronouns are they, them. My name is Aim, my pronouns are also they, them. I had a very fantastic gay time with this story. Excellent. I was lying awake at like 11pm last night trying to word that intro, and I think I got it. You did good, you did great. (laughs) Thank you. So, as you may have guessed, the serial that we are covering this episode is The Stones of Blood by David Fisher? Is it David Fisher? Yes, I think so. Yes. Oh, I have such good memory. That is a uh, fourth Doctor serial with our wife, Romana One, and our very special little boy, K9. Aim, had you seen this one before? Yeah, of course I've seen this one before. It takes (laughs) so many of my boxes. (laughs) It is exactly your shit in the same way that, like, The Reign of Terror is exactly my shit. Yeah, like if somebody, like if there was an AI that had to look at my interests and then create a Doctor Who story, this is exactly what would come out of it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. But it would have like yep. even more outfits, like even more costumes, mm. more color. Yeah, probably yeah. about three more sets. But it's very close. Yeah, I mean for the seventies. Yeah, I'll take it. I had not seen this one. I always thought it was kind of mm. dumb or kind of stupid that they had. Uh, Stones being the baddies. I think I imagined them as big round stones just on the ground, like big stepping stones. It's not like much better than what's here. <laughs> what do you mean they're perfect? But it's all, as I say, it's perfect. When they t- I watched this serial today with my parents. My mum has seen it, but not for a long time. And we both shrieked with laughter when the ogre first showed up. I love it. Uh- that's fair it's very good good. but yes obviously for the podcast i have now seen the first three parts of the key to time and i'm having a great time with them (laughs) they're very good are you are you unlocking i'm unlocking my love for something the fourth doctor Doctor? yeah the fourth doctor he's great Um, he is really good It's, it's um almost like he is justified in being the classic yeah but then i also kind of like but everyone deserves the same level of love because they're that's true okay yeah it's fine that's true it's fine he is he is really good though and he's very good at what he does which is uh being charming and yet also a bastard (laughs) (laughs) which is how the doctor should be absolutely shall we synopsize absolutely Searching for the third segment, The Key to Time, brings the Doctor and Romana Romana 1 to present-day Earth, where the travellers have to contend with the stone circles, druidic rituals, and a not-so-mythical goddess known as the Kaliak. Proud of you for pronouncing that on your first try. (laughs) Honestly, everything's coming up aim at the moment. Absolutely. Uh, It's a great (laughs) premise. It's, you know, we're returning to the folklore, folk horror aspect of Doctor Who, which we adore so much in The Demons, Um, and it's nice to be back. Yeah, I absolutely adore just how much it is cribbed from actual folklore, but we are going to get to that later. Yes, absolutely. So, episode one. The fourth Doctor and Romana One are about to embark on their search for the third segment of The Key to Time, but the really important thing is that the very first shot of this episode is a tiny <laughs> little model of the TARDIS. Just hanging and in space. the tiny little model of the TARDIS is wobbling because they didn't yeah! have time to wait for it to steady. Oh, it's so cute. 
cute. It's very cute. I love the tiny little model of the TARDIS so much. The Doctor <laughs> is excited to find that it is located on Earth, which Romana describes as his favourite planet. He's like, oh, you're going to have such a great time there. And she's like, oh, Earth. Right. Yeah, I've, I've heard of Earth. Uh, you like it. Yeah. Um, I know why. <laughs> Romana dresses herself in a fashionable Earth-type outfit, including a pair of four-inch heels that the dismayed Doctor believes will be unsuitable for walking. This is, again, perfect. Um, I mean, the rest of her outfit, she's got, like, sensible trousers, a pink shirt, hair tied up under a flat cap. She's got a, be- uh, she's got a belt, and she's wearing four-inch sandal heels, and it's like, oh, babe. And he's Hot. like, why don't you go and find some more suitable shoes? She comes back with a pair of platform heels that are jet black. <laughs> So good. I am in love. I wish I had her power. They prepare to leave when a voice tells them to beware the Black Guardian. At this, the Doctor reveals Romana was not sent on this quest by the President of the Time Lords, but rather by the all-powerful White Guardian, who wishes them to gather the key to maintain galactic stability. Absolutely wild that he hasn't told her this before. Also, she seems to take it better than I would have expected her to. Like, she's shaken. Yeah. But she's not pissed off. She's a very self-assured person. Um, Yeah. I like her very much. I know. They venture outside to find themselves near the Nine Travellers, a group of Cromlech or Standing Stones in Boscombe Moor, Cornwall. Not a real moor. Not not a real moor. Um, <laughs> there are so many moors. They could have done Bodmin Moor. I really one day want them to do something about the Beast of Bodmin Moor on Doctor Who. I think that would be really fun. Oh. Um, I want anything on Dartmoor. Yeah, oh my god, don't. I love Dartmoor right? so much. And there's just so much potential there. There's so much you can literally just build on existing folklore or existing weird decrepit sets yeah. or spooky forests. God, our fan audio is going to be so good, eh? <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. We really yeah. need to make it. We really it. need to work on that, yeah. Um, on the way, <laughs> they see heavy indentations in the ground, which intrigue the Doctor. Also interested in the location is aged archaeologist Professor Amelia Rumford, who is surveying the stones with her friend, Vivian Fay. <laughs> Two whole women who are just... it's. Characters ten, not even story. ten minutes into the story, and we have two powerful named women and Romana. Yes, it's so sexy and assured of David Fisher, and I'm a big fan. Like, oh my god, Amelia Rumford is like this extremely grumpy old archaeologist who's kind of there to be all not even grumpy, but like she's very direct. She's very much like, oh, so you must have heard about this place from um, Doctor whatever his name is, who <laughs> got crushed by yeah, a she, she, stone. she's. <laughs> absolutely got that mannerism of almost half trailing off before finding the thought of an older academic and it's beautiful to watch she is a wonderful old lesbian and i love her very much Mm -hmm. vivian fay is also great she turns up and is walking very quietly and she says i was a brown owl once you know (laughs) you were leader of a group of brownies says the doctor not explaining anything to romana who is not of this earth Um, I love that the doctor knows who like what brownies are. I must. Oh, know. I bet you the doctor just like was a brownie leader. Do for you a think while? Susan was, was a pack was leader? Susan a girl guide? <laughs> Have you seen her? Of course, Susan was a girl guide. Of course, and she had a great time doing it. Oh, 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 oh! Headcanon that they would like the original TARDIS team would sit around the console room between adventures, and um, Barbara and Susan would try to explain guiding to oh my and God. brownies and everything to the Doctor, oh who was God. very confused. And now he's finally got it, and he's very proud that he's got it. <laughs> he's very proud that he's got it for when he eventually visits his granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Which will happen. It will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the Doctor and Romana notice dried blood on the ground at the stones, and Vivian tells them about the activities of a local druidic sect. The Doctor goes to meet its apparent leader, Leonard de Vries. Romana, who is having difficulty walking in her heels, stays behind with Amelia and Vivian. This is all very, like, they notice dried blood and the Doctor is very concerned and Amelia and Vivian are like, oh yeah, it's probably the Druids again. 
As you do, probably just the druids. Just druids. As Amy Lisa's just like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Happens all the time. Yeah, just, you know, they, they come up here on the weekends terribly ahistorical, you know, <laughs> dancing around in white robes with curved knives. <laughs> it's very fun. Um, There's so many jabs at ahistorical druids yeah. in this, and I love it. I think the 70s, obviously the 70s was kind of a hippie-ish time. Glastonbury was definitely full of this kind of behaviour. <laughs> and you're like, all power to you, you're not, it's not, it's not historical practice in the way that you think it is, dancing around in white robes with big curved knives and killing lambs or whatever. Um, yeah, be be aware of the history you're actually taking your rituals from. Exactly. De Vries lives in a large property nearby, Boscombe Hall, built on the site of the convent of the Little Sisters of Saint Gudula, who I don't think is a real saint, but I could be wrong because there's a million Welsh people who were murdered horribly and became saints. Oh no, there you go, Saint Gudula. Uh, she was born in the Pagus of uh, Brabant in present-day Belgium, and according to her 11th century biography, written by a monk of the Abbey of Houtmont, she was the daughter of a duke of Lotharingia called Witger and Amelberger of uh, Malboiger. Oh my god. The more you know. Yeah. What's she the patron saint of? Let's find out. Brussels. Oh, but what thing? Single laywomen. Uh, the... Single laywomen. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Powerful. I love that. I should have known that she was patron saint of Brussels. I've been to Brussels. <laughs> Do you, do you check out the patron saint of everywhere no, you go? No, but I did used to go to a lot of churches when we went to various places okay. on holiday. So usually I've got I've got it on lock. That's cool though, St. Gudula. I like that it's a woman. Mm. Inside, De Vries and his maid Martha are chanting to the Kaliak, the druidic goddess of war and magic, who is a, a crow, insanely cool. Just a crow that they have. Um, the doctor interrupts and is entertained briefly by De Vries until his host sees the opportunity to knock him out. <laughs> Very good hosting. Yes, the crow has flown back and presumably reported to De Vries that the Doctor is present because De Vries knows the Doctor's name and also why he's there. Uh, they are talking about uh, Doctor Borlase from the uh, 1500s, who was so tragically uh, killed by a crush by a stone just after he finished his survey of the Stone Circle. Because that's what Amelia is doing. She is attempting to survey the Stone Circle because she has a theory about the stones. Um, mm. which I wasn't completely clear on what her theory is. Is it that they've been miscounting? Oh, I think so. Fact. That's what it seemed to be from the surveying. Yeah, miscounting, mismeasuring. There's also a lot of stone surveying and a different thing I'm going to talk about later, so exciting stuff. <laughs> I'm so used to seeing people survey stone circles in fiction now. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that looks about right. <laughs> really big tape measure. <laughs> Amazing. De Vries and his mistress, uh, Martha, dressed in a hideous bird costume, aim to sacrifice him to the Kaliak. This is, there's a lot of human sacrifice threats in this series. There's a lot of general murder energy. Yeah, there's actual blood, like actual blood in Doctor Who, like a big cup of blood. It is called the Stones of Blood. Yeah, it's drama, you know. Meanwhile, Amelia and Vivian prepare to go back to Vivian's cottage. They invite Romana to join them for a cup of tea, but she opts to stay at the circle to wait for the Doctor. After the others have left, Romana hears the Doctor's voice calling out to her. She calls out to him, and when he does not answer, she decides to investigate. Her high heels have caused her so much annoyance that she ditches them and continues her search for the Doctor and her bare feet. This must have been a response to some kind of fan letter or some observation someone had made that high heels are impossible to run in. <laughs> like, Casey Manning was really doing it for us in the early 70s running around in those high heels, but she shouldn't have had to. Oh boy, no, she should not have had to. Like, who, who is the hero who finally got Doctor Who to address the fact that you shouldn't run around in high heels because you will break your ankle? I bet you it was fucking David Fisher just writing it being like, I'm not including this. Kind of a big None fan of, of this guy. Do we know anything about him? No, I've not looked into him. Oh, well, you've got until the behind the scenes segment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just get him on the podcast. It'll be fine. Um, That's right. Oh, he's done some other good stuff. What it's worth. Romana approaches a cliff edge, still hearing the doctor call out. Something disturbs her and she yells for it to keep back. She steps backwards and falls over the edge. Dun, dun, dun! Drama! Rom- very literal cliffhanger. Romana in peril. <laughs> very dramatic. Yeah, we don't we don't love it. I love this as a setup episode. The pacing was really tight. Yeah, it's really fun stuff. Like... It 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 just goes so zippily, like you say. It's very well paced, and it's so much fun mm. with like the weird yeah, folk horror yeah, elements and the big bird outfit and the crow going. Ah, ah, Romana being scared <laughs> by the crow. That was my crow impression. Um, I thought it was really good. Thank I you. always thought that a crow had broken into a <laughs> Maybe it has. Maybe I'm lying about it. Oh being my god! Wait, can you turn into a crow? Um, there's no proof that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a it's a great first episode, and it has so many women yeah. in it, and it's just wonderful. Strong agree. Shall we go on to episode? Absolutely. Two. Right, Romana has grabbed onto the rock face and is clinging to the cliff just below the edge. Meanwhile, Devries and Martha argue about the validity of sacrificing <laughs> the Doctor, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Um, who is now awake and tied to one of the stones in the circle. This is perfect stuff. <laughs> Martha is very hesitant about killing a person, and as soon as the Doctor wakes up, she's like, no, I'm out. Bye. This is not me. <laughs> I'm not about this life. And can you blame her? No, absolutely not. She really loves Devries, and I don't know why, because he has no qualities. Not even negative ones, no, just nothing. Just no, just no qualities. A man. He's got no qualities. Um... And he's got no quality streets either. Oh, devastating. Devastating. The Doctor, when tied to this this rock, is so funny. <laughs> I hope that knife has been properly sterilised. You can get all sorts of terrible things. Locked your typhoid. <laughs> it's so good. Luckily, it's brilliant. Luckily for him, the sacrifice is interrupted by the arrival of Professor Rumford, Woo! who frees the Doctor as the other She's flee, just and he's got another bike. great line yeah. about... About it being an occupational hazard. Yeah. It's just she's just pushing a bike along the lane and he's like, Help, help <laughs> And then she shows up and then you just hear these like car ignition noises as the cultists flee. Yeah. It's brilliant drama. It's so good. It's so good. Doctor Um <sighs> Doctor Who is a perfect TV show. Yeah. Changed my mind. Yeah. Neither the Doctor nor Amelia knows where Romana is, however. After discovering her abandoned shoes, the Doctor summons K9 to yes, find yes, her. Yes, 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 Another yes, great yes, moment yes, yes. where um, Professor Rumford is like, do you have a dog? And he's like, oh, have I got a dog? <laughs> oh, God, I so love K9 so much. Every time he's he pops up, boy. me and my mum both cheered when he turned up. We were so pleased. <sighs> cute. We were both very, I'm very much of the opinion that Professor Rumford should get a canine because she deserves a canine. A canine deserves a Professor Rumford who would spoil him so, so readily. Right. Well, fanfic request. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so they summon K9 and they are successful in, in finding Romana. Romana is relieved to see K9 but is surprisingly mistrustful when she sees the Doctor. After they pull her up from the cliff, K9 calms her by assuring Romana it is indeed the Doctor. They conclude that it must have been a doppelganger of him who pushed her off the cliff. They never really explore they, that. 
<laughs> no, no. I think that's again mm. possibly a dropped a dropped thread around stones turning yeah. to people and being able to steal people's images. Um, they assume that whoever it is must be in possession of the third segment of the key to time and has found a way to utilize Curious. its shape changing abilities. Oh, yeah, because they mention uh, when they're talking about the black mm, and white guardian, they... who are of course divorced husbands, um, <laughs> thrice divorced, intergalactic um, drama. But they're talking about how they they both have the ability to change their shape because um, the white guardian had taken the form of the leader of the leader of the high council to tell Romana to go and help the doctor. So you know they're kind of setting this up and. And they don't do anything with it. <laughs> Classic Doctor Who. Yet we still have Yay. three more episodes of Key to Time to go. Oh, I'm genuinely overarching series arc. I know. They decide DeVries can answer some questions and set off for Boscombe Hall. After Romana is allowed to return to the TARDIS, <laughs> so she can so she can change clothes and, and switch into a pair of sturdy very boots. Sexy. I love her. Like just everything she wears is perfect. It's so good. It's like a um, tiered mm. dark red skirt with like a dark red pink. Yeah, and um, almost a blouse and proper leather boots it's to stomp just around. Very it. beautiful. Absolutely, it's what I would like to wear on a daily basis. Nothing is stopping me except laundry, um, I guess. Laundry and money. Yeah. <laughs> when the doctor gets to the hall, he finds Devries oh, and no. Martha have been crushed to death. The- um, so our only other man in the serial has died. Oh, no. What a tragedy. Oh, no. I'm so sad. <laughs> so now he has he does have one quality. Flat. <laughs> yeah, he has the quality of not being 3D anymore. He's two-dimensional. <laughs> he is now Paper yes. Man. Um, and he will haunt Boscombe Hall forever. The hall is under attack yes! by a pair of mobile giant stones, like those from the more moving it's stone perfect. stones that move. It's that they're on little wheels, oh, like caster wheels. They really tried to think about beautiful. how to make stones intimidating, and then they just said screw it and like didn't. <laughs> so this is something they discussed on the special features, which I actually did have time to watch this week. Had a great time. Um, they talked about how the one thing they knew they didn't want yeah. is like men dressed up as stones. So they were like, it would look shitty if this was just like somebody wearing a suit that looked like stones. We're not doing that, which is sort of how they ended up with this mm, version. That does sound like it could have been pretty crap. Like, pretty crap. Yeah, just guys like in suit, a suit outfit. Men. Yeah. Yeah. Could it, have, could it have worked if they were sort of like, like Dalek-esque little things that drive around? Yeah, but then it's more or less doing the same thing. You just have to hire an extra person. <laughs> but if you're doing that, why bother? Exactly. Which yeah. the BBC hates spending yeah. money... On anything. Um, the Doctor and K9 repel the attack, causing the stones to retreat through the rope to retreat, no! though the robot dog is badly damaged and needs repairing the TARDIS. No, the boy. More curious facts come to life. The Doctor works out the stones need blood to survive. Yeah, they're vampire stones. I absolutely adore that. Yeah, like what what Conclusion happens if they don't have enough blood? Well. <laughs> they never to survive as well. They're fucking stones. <laughs> do, do they just turn into regular stones is that how all stones are born I, I'm not a geologist but are stones so that's inanimate really because they've question. not been Maybe given enough blood sometime. I will please not do that. don't not in a kill cave. me in a cave that's very uncivilised thank you okay <laughs> it has to be a standing stone yeah, circle it has to be something that they can enough. paint dramatically and then like you know they rediscover the painting several hundred years <laughs> later and they're like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> 
And then they look at the back of the painting and someone's written yeah. in like Can you Crayola. tell uh, fake or fortune I've been watching with my parents? It's a great show. It is I have, uh, I've never seen it. An art expert and a TV presenter who does some light research attempt to figure out whether paintings that people have are really what they say they are or if they are forgeries. Um, and then at the and then at the end of the episode, no matter how okay, much evidence sounds... they've compiled, they have to send it off to an official art appraiser who will sometimes just go, "No, fuck you, it's a fake," even though it's clearly not. <laughs> Holy shit, that sounds actually like like it's proper grand design for artist. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, back at Vivian's cottage. Romana has pieced together that the owners of the hall and the preceding As convent the conversation were all happening on women. screen. They're all yes. women and they're just talking about women. I love it. We love it. We love it. Wanting to know more, Romana and Rumford head out to the hall. But when Romana discovers Canine's weakened state, she leaves to take him to the TARDIS for repairs. Professor Rumford remains at the hall with the doctor and they continue to investigate. Soon, Ooh. they find paintings of the previous owners of the hall and discover <gasps> they all had the same face. Oh my god! That of Vivian Fay. Yeah. Oh my god! I love this reveal. Um, Professor Rumford's like, oh, she, she looks familiar somehow. Is she your like, wife? Yes, I should rather hope she does. Um, yeah, I <laughs> Please recognise her. exploring the house and the doctor's like, there's no secret passages. And then he thinks about it for two more seconds and goes, actually, I know where the secret passage is. Beware the raven and the crow. Oh, powerful. And there's a raven um, in the fireplace and it opens a secret door. He's like, oh, I guess, I guess there was the whole time. <laughs> I also love how much this calls into, I guess, like a, a mostly like 19th, 20th century horror yeah, pastiche of spooky paintings. Or paintings she that kind, make she things kind even of a more picture mysterious. Of Vivian Faye I love it. Mm, yeah, that'd be God. a really good alternate title for it. I'm just thinking about how, like, how much more lesbian would the coding be? <laughs> it's already very gay. She's a stone butch. Oh my God, she's a stone butch. It's incredibly gay. Oh, <laughs> I mean, no, she's not. But it is she... very funny. <laughs> is she though? <laughs> if it was yes. made in 2021, that's how it would go down. <gasps> Meanwhile. The woman in the bird costume has brought back more stones, or ogri as she calls them, to life using poured blood. Romana ventures back to the stone circle and there finds Vivian in the costume. When challenged, she fires a weapon at Romana, causing her to disappear. Very good. Second episode in a row with Romana ending in, in Romana in peril. <laughs> I was thinking that while watching it. I get this very little Romana, Romana panicking. Here. She is so self-assured and so wonderful and confident and sexy and I love her so much. Oh my god, Romana. How had you not encountered Romana before this podcast? I had encountered Romana too. Romana 1 is like Um, She is the sexiest woman in the whole world. Um, And clearly Doctor Who didn't know what to do with her because even at this point you're starting to get like the Romana 2, the Romana 1 downward spiral, which is that she doesn't get to like get herself out of these situations anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But there we are. Uh, Episode 3. Go for it. After dispensing with one of the stones pursuing them, the Doctor and Professor Rumford reach the stone circle. Vivian tells them Romana will be safe if the Doctor stops interfering with her activity. She then disappears in a similar fashion as Romana had done. The Doctor now identifies the stones as Ogri, a life form from Ogris in the Tau Ceti system. Two of them are still missing and moving around the countryside. Two <laughs> innocent campers help quench their taste That sentence blood. does not give that oh scene God. justice. It's an incredible scene. It's these two people in a tent who have clearly been shagging out on the moors, which is like, you know... As you Go, go for it it's the seven um 
one of them is like wandering around shirtless and it's like wow someone wandering around shirtless in doctor who and they're not being actively tortured this is incredible and then um and then uh he's like whoa come look at this meg because there's two standing stones outside that have suddenly appeared she touches one of them and her hand starts like it's melting. horrific it's sort it's of like flashes between like her hand hand and a skeletal hand yeah and they're all screaming and shrieking in pain and you never really find out what happened <laughs> very strange the doctor calculates that romana and her captain must be in hyperspace he builds a projecting device which he uses to transmit himself there he arrives on a hyperspace craft which seems to be a prison vessel and he frees romana i love this. go on it's just that, like, he goes to he goes to free her, and she's like, "Oh, it's about time you <laughs> showed up." Also, what the fuck is hyperspace? Hyperspace is the. F- I guess it's intended as like some kind of fifth dimensional space, which is slightly removed from four dimensional space. Um, maybe it's the plate. It's the place where the time vortex is. Possibly, I know that in like Star Trek and Star Wars and stuff, it's the thing that you travel through when you're going faster than light. So, like. It's something like that. Mm. We're not scientists. Anyone who knows anything about whatever hyperspace is supposed to be, yeah, please, please let do. us know. Because <laughs> I have no, no idea. idea I'm at not going to read it. I enjoyed about the it. concept of it, but I don't know what it is. Yes, yes. He soon breaks a lock on a sealed door, releasing two floating globes. They are Megara <laughs> justice machines, dispensing the law as judge, jury, and executioner. Would you like to describe what they look like, Aim? They are literally. So, if if we take ourselves back in time to when we yes. were discussing our favourite story of all time, The Mutants, and yes. how Kai turned into a rainbow ball of justice. This is like the natural evolution of a rainbow ball yeah. of justice. <laughs> they are little, little lights that float around in various rainbow colours. And they have these really They're deep voices cute. and it's like, this is so incongruous and I love it so much. I love <laughs> it so much. I really like um, them. They contend that as the Doctor <laughs> broke the seal on the door, he has transgressed the law and should be eliminated. Whoa! The Doctor breaking a lock being uh, grounds for death is very dramatic. Also compared yeah. to all the other shit he does yeah. all the time. Compared with all of the deaths he has been directly or indirectly responsible for. Yeah. Only like you a know. handful of genocides. Canine and Amelia have meanwhile been tasked with protecting the projector used by the Doctor to cross the dimensions, but they find themselves under attack from two Ogri. And this is like just after Canine has been restored from his state of almost complete death. Like he almost died. Yeah, Canine's had a rough time and yet continues being the best boy. How does he do it? And Four is so mean to him sometimes, and it's like, how dare you? That boy loves you. He would do anything for you. you. He would literally literally die for you. Literally. Devastating stuff. Um, Vivian returns to Earth and destroys the device, but spares her friend. She takes the Ogri back to the hyperspace vessel with her and there tells the Doctor and Rana she has destroyed their linking device between the dimensions, leaving them trapped in hyperspace forever! Again, very intense. Again, a lot of um, people, a lot of the cliffhangers are people being stuck. Yeah, and then uh, this is sort of the end of the bit of the serial that I really liked, which was the first three episodes. And we we commenced the bit of the serial I completely forgot that this happened in the story. Which is episode four. Which is... (laughs) I mean, it's no, as I say, it's no Keys of Marinus episode six, but, but I what guess is we can in talk about it. But what is in this world? <laughs> um, it exactly. starts when the Megara destroy one of the Ogri that threatens them. The Doctor has been tried in his absence by the Megara, an abrupt and unfair process dependent on the word but not the spirit of the law. I know what that means, but also I'm imagining this little, like, law <laughs> ghost, ghost just appearing ghost. and being like, I am the spirit. 
spirit of the lord it's like in ace attorney the first game when <coughs> spoiler redacted comes back as a ghost that's the spirit of the law um, i can't i have to redact a spoiler for the first ace attorney game you do i not want it everyone yet. to play it it's so good the doctor successfully petitions to conduct his own defense in an appeal he puts romana in the witness chair to establish that he broke the seal because he feared for the safety of the megara this also sets a precedent for the use of the truth assessor he tries to draw Vivian Fay into the trial and get the Megara to subject her to the truth assessor, which will reveal her true identity to the court as the person whom they were originally set to put on trial 4,000 years ago. Kind of over the top. Kind of still love it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I love his oh little wig. Oh my god, he does have a little, like, as a lawyer. judge wig that sits on top of his already very intense hair. It's perfect. When he calls. Vivian to the stand. He argues that she should be attached to the assessor like Romana. The Megara, however, deny his appeal on the grounds that she was not a direct witness to the crime for which he stands accused. <laughs> Nevertheless, the doctor comes closer to the truth about Vivian. He argues successfully for putting one of the two Megara on the stand, <laughs> who tells the court the nature of the journey that has kept them in hyperspace for thought for 4,000 years. They are on a mission to find and try Cesar of Diplos, a criminal wanted for murder. And, re- the, and the removal and misuse of the Great Seal of Diplos. The Megara states the seal has significant powers, transmutation, transformation, and the ability to establish hyperspatial and temporal coordinates. Intriguing. What does it's this almost sound like, like it might be time-related hmm. in some way. Odd. Back at the Stone Circle, Amelia and K-9 have repaired the projector and use it to beam Romana back from the hyperspace vessel. And the one surviving ogre, which oh, chases no. them! Fuck yes, I love it. They find incriminating data at Vivian's cottage. Cookery books in which a number of recipes containing citrus fruit juices have been crossed out. Who just crosses uh, out recipes Vivian in Faye. cookbooks? Just Amelia then says them. that Vivian was allergic to citric acid. Du, but du, du, was du. she? Romana returns to the spacecraft to await the verdict, an ogre close behind her. So the citric the- acid thing is apparently that having citric acid in your blood is necessary for the ogre to yeah. lust after, I guess. Um... It reminds me, and you're going to laugh at me for this, it reminds me of a uh, Marvel Comics fanfic that I read yeah, on, go on. Um, where <laughs> the Earth was taken over by these aliens. A lot of people were like put into like work camps or whatever by the aliens so that they would like make technology for them, and these people weren't allowed to have salt or uh or like citric acid and they were trying to figure out why and obviously they all got scurvy because they weren't allowed citric acid and eventually they figured Mm -hmm. out that the combination of salt and citric acid made this thing that would kill all of the aliens like immediately i think it was ascorbic acid i don't remember if anyone read when the lights go on again (laughs) by elspeth dixon you'll know what i'm talking about at the close of his trial the doctor is convicted and (gasps) the guy of fire executing beams at him he drags Vivian into the beam's focus? Oh my god. Is this murder? Um, yeah. if they had died, yes. The energy is divided <laughs> between them so both survive. This forces the Megara to examine Vivian to see if she is badly hurt. The doctor suggests they must examine her mind to check for damage. They really find, canny they stuff find she is indeed Cesare of Diplos and she is charged with her crimes when she wakes. The last ogre is confined in a cell aboard the ship to be returned to its own planet. Cesare is sentenced to confinement for 1,500 years and perpetual imprisonment. The sentence is to run consecutively. I think Ooh. that's hilarious. I mean, it's awful, yeah. but also fucking hilarious. Be like, well, you'll serve your 
1,500 year trial uh, judgment and then perpetual imprisonment. Um, <laughs> before she is turned into a stone on Boscombe Moor, the doctor grabs her necklace, the great seal of Diplos, which is in fact the third segment of the key to time. Woo! Congratulations they found it. to you. Nearly died, but you've got it. As the Megara bring up the matter of the doctor's delayed execution, they suddenly return to their ship as it is about to leave. The doctor set the controls to go prior to the ship. <laughs> the doctor, canine, and Romana return to the TARDIS, thanking Amelia for her assistance. The Doctor uses the tracer to turn the third segment of the key to time to its proper form. As he struggles with putting it together with the other two, he looks over to Romana, reminded of her boasting of being good with such puzzles. The end. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. Oh, what a fun one. I Besides really the last this. episode. The last episode I, was hard was to so focus on. However, everything else redeems it, I think. In my in my eyes, at least. There's a lot of course. Of good. It was just a really fun story and it has so many fun elements and so many women. And so many women. Just lots of good stuff going on, um, which I means I almost forgive the fact that the last episode was extremely yeah, it, had a, it had a few good lines and a few good moments, but overall it did not live up to the rest of the series. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame because there's so much good in it, but also like, come on, come on. Yeah, please keep it up. You could just do another episode set on Earth where they're figuring it out in dungeons yeah. beneath their manor house or whatever. Absolutely. An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. He is great. I'm He's finally great. getting it. After this many Fourth Doctor stories, I finally understand the Fourth Doctor. <laughs> I think he's um he's just got like except there's a bit in the first episode where Professor Rumford's going on about all of these um papers and niche bits of interest and <laughs> just despairing look on his face as if he's being out eccentric it and it's extremely perfect. fun. Like everything he does is great. He doesn't know how to handle Romana at all and it's so funny because she is so self-assured and will just go and do stuff or tell him to do something and he'll like a second later go, I've decided to do this thing completely on my own, separate from the fact that you just told me to go and do it. <laughs> he <sighs> he's learning. Why is a he like bit, this? I guess. Um I would be just as delighted as he is about visiting Cornwall. I love Cornwall, I miss it. I've been once and I had a lovely time. Um, I would nice. like to go again. I used to go a lot on weekends because I lived in Devon. Um, Makes sense. As we've already said, uh, he tells Ramona the truth finally. He pronounces eclipses eclipses, which I can't stop thinking about. It's like <laughs> eclipse eclipses. But I've never actually really heard people say eclipse as a plural, so maybe it is pronounced eclipses. I don't know. <laughs> Eclipsodies. Eclipsi. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the S is silent. Almost definitely. That would be the French way of doing it, I suppose. Um, I really enjoy the Doctor, <laughs> along with everyone else in the serial, pointing out the lack of historicity. We already talked about this. It really is yeah. like, it's fine to do it, but it very much is yeah. a bunch of upper class white people on a wild weekend sacrificing some animals. It doesn't have any basis in historical ritual. Yeah, none at all. Uh, they mentioned this on the special features. Um, how about when they were writing this, they didn't give like a second thought to these comments, but if they were doing it now, they'd oh, probably God. have to like check it for sensitivity so they didn't yeah. piss any modern druids off. Um, and I guess like as the neo-pagan rep on the podcast, I actually loved them calling it out. I thought it was great. It's like, it they don't say fun. that it's necessarily wrong that they're doing it. They're just like, but it's not, they they say it's a 4,000 year long tradition and it's it's not. It's not. Um, it is not. I love when he has to go and rescue Romana and he uses the scarf as a rescue rope. 
There's also another shot with the scarf when he's running along. You can just see it trailing behind his feet the on the ground. The scarf is very... Lots of good you know, scarf payments. It's, it's a character all its own. <laughs> what would the scarf I'm fairly certain there's a character Scarfy? called Scarfy no. in like the very Potter musicals. Oh my god, it is. The scarf which assigns your sexuality. Yes! Oh my god. That's what an insane Blast thing. from the past. Yeah. Why does that still live rent free in my brain? Who can Who say? Who can say? Unfortunately, we must have watched what? it at a formative um, age. Um, You've got a great point here about him and Romana's dynamic really coming into its own. Yeah, it really more, is. They're, they're, more, they're more of like an, a very bickery married couple and it's yeah, very fun. <laughs> they're, they're definitely a duo of some yeah, sort. it's very fun. Um, it also yeah. comes up really in a really amusing way in the nice. short Nice! Okay, that's exciting. Um, I One of the things I did love about episode four was that four gets to lo- wear a little wig on top of his yes, hair. Yes, it's perfect. It's very good. It's very funny. It's very sweet. Where did it come from? Does he have it in his pockets? Probably. Probably. He's got his tars, his pockets are like dimensionally <laughs> transcendental. I wish I right? had dimensionally like... transcendental pockets. Oh, same. Just pockets generally. Yeah, no pockets Any pocket. Very, oh, sad. very sad. Um, also, just like every scene he has with Professor Remford is just absolutely golden. You can tell that both of them as actors are having a great time. Absolutely. It just really shines. Professor Remford is just a very, very good character. And I think she would make She's a great so companion. God. I love just the the self assured older like old woman companion. Yes. It's a good yeah. Archetype. We've got a lot of older men companions in modern Who. Come Where on. are the old women? Give us Come some old on. women to look up to, to respect, yes. to adore. I have to go now. Look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But right. you don't understand. Romana won. I. I... If anybody's listened to this much of this episode and not realised that we both absolutely adore her, then I'm not sure if you've been paying attention. We're, we're lesbians. She's the best. You, have we mentioned today that Did we are know? lesbians? <laughs> I feel like we don't mention podcast. this as much as we could, considering, considering our, our show. show. Yeah, we are lesbians, and we le- we lesbianly adore Romana in both incarnations that appear on the screen. <laughs> Romana one is just, you know, she's so sexy. I don't know how like how else to explain it. She's just everything amazing. about her, her aesthetic, yeah. her look, her responses, how quick yes, she is. She is a girl boss. She has her hair up under her mm. golf cap, which is very lesbian. It's of such her. a look. I wish I had enough mm. hair to pull that off. Now, I don't want to say the next note that I made, which was kind of just a joke that I made for myself. Go on. <laughs> I think you should. I think Romana the world needs this. Space wiki feet entry every time they have a shot of just her feet, which is quite common. There's a lot of shots of her feet. It's quite... like a Tarantino film or something up in here. <laughs> oh my god. Space wiki feet is just going to haunt me. I'm going to wake up, sit bolt upright at 3 a.m. Having dreamt of the horrors of space wiki feet. <laughs> I guess feeds. we found uh, the, the title of this episode, The Horrors of Space Wiki <laughs> I don't know. G- give us a little bit more time. We we'll might find see, something else. But, you know, I'm the one who chooses the title, yeah. so... That's true, that's true. Yeah, her outfit is great. Maybe we can just um, save fawning over how beautiful she is more for the I wife I think that's section. a good idea. However... But in episode four, when they call like they describe the Megara describe <gasps> her as a mere humanoid, and she is she so really indignant is. about it. She is like, I am an Love eldritch it. being. How dare you? <laughs> God, I wish to be an eldritch yes, being that beautiful. Absolutely, she is indescribably beautiful. Is what makes her eldritch. Um, but there is not only one <laughs> companion in this story; there are two because oh our no, little, our, our little, little boy. Tindog, I love him so God, he's got much. S- I was watching this last, last night. I think I texted you about good yes. K9 content just because yes. I knew it would. When he sh- 
Yeah, four, he shows name. up and four goes straight over to him and says, "Oh my dear old thing, K nine." It's like, yes, he's a very good little boy. He's, he's a little nice baby to puppy him all the time. Do you think that like, he has like dog treats? I feel like he does. Like I know that he, there's snacks. the uh, there's the short trip where he's been trained to like stale biscuits, like programmed. To oh like my stale god, biscuits. poor boy! I guess just all dogs like stale biscuits though. We'll need to do we a used to have a Scooby snack making machine, which was really something. You basically put you that basically rings a bell. Oh my god, into it. <laughs> yeah, this definitely god. rings a bell. It shakes a tambourine. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's always. <laughs> You've always wanted to be a bloodhound canine. Negative, master. <laughs> So good. Also, I very much enjoy that you and your mum cheered when he showed up. Both love him Amazing. so much. Like, I get my canine love from somewhere, and that somewhere is from my mother, who is correct in her Doctor Who. Are opinion. you saying that canine um, yes. love is genetic? And it deserves to be because he is a perfect okay. little metal dog. He's just the best. I know he, he was is. like he was probably introduced to like appeal to children or whatever. He appeals to everybody except people with no soul. If you don't like canine, I don't like you. I'm very sorry to say this. <laughs> I don't understand you. How's that? I don't understand yeah. people that hey, don't I, like Kane. I can see how he could be seen as annoying, but I can't see how you could not watch more of him and then realise, actually, no, he's perfect. Like, if that remains your opinion, the more you consume. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I don't know. I just love him. He gets injured and I go, no! Kane! He has a rough time, poor little boy. Ford does call him a terrible old gas bag. Yeah, and it's like, why are you being so What's mean to him? What's that about? He would never say this about you. <sighs> he wouldn't, because he loves Thor so much. He loves and, as much know, as his little yeah, tin and, you know, Amelia can. is like, oh, I hope that wasn't my fault. He goes, negative. <laughs> Any issue would be with the machinery, not with yourself. <laughs> I love him. He's so kind. <laughs> um, and you've, you've rightly highlighted a fantastic little moment between Romana and K9. She goes, what is tennis? And he says, do you mean field, court, or table tennis? And she goes, table. forget it. She goes, erase memory banks. Erase memory tennis. banks. Concerning tennis. <laughs> Forgotten tennis. It's, it's so, so good. good. I love him. I want them to give him all the pats. I just. Oh I think this God. is actually what makes this story work because it finds time yeah. for those Yeah, I mean, it moments. helps that it kind of wraps up the story it's... like three and a half episodes in. <laughs> you're like, okay. Um, like, they were supposed to pad it with that story you're going to tell us later. And I'm very excited to hear about the story, but I wish they'd included it because at the moment. Yeah, frankly. <laughs> it, it's. Yeah. Right. On your knees, Doctor. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's a gay serial. First off, <laughs> White Guardian and Black Guardian are an OTP. They are the thrice divorced fucking Elias and Peter I Lucas. Think is... <laughs> I get that reference! Yes! yes! AIM has finally listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to all of it in two and a half weeks. How are you feeling and now about I'm the finale? How oh, uh, like hollow in a really good way. Yeah. Yeah, like. It yeah. couldn't have ended any other way. I really like it, but it has left me with a lot of unresolved feelings. It's fine. That's what <sighs> fix it fix on AO3. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got a lot ahead of me. I had a great time. Going to tangent from one gay thing to another. Listen to the Magnus Archives. Mm. It's really good. Yeah, I told you that but many episodes ago. <laughs> and now, here I am, a more hollow and yet more fulfilled human being. Mm. Paradoxes. Very, very good stuff. Anyway, let me podcast. just recompose myself. Um, I've nearly fallen off my chair. That's fair. Um, Amelian. Do you know what happens? I get excited. I fall over. Yeah. Amelian slash Vivian, older stateswoman, lesbian slash middle aged dyke. However, it turned out that Vivian is an ageless deity, so the May December relationship has switched <laughs> <at> angles. <laughs> they do have such like 
sapphic energy. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a very good energy. It uh, reminds me of like, I don't know, like a 1920s detective story where there's these two women who live mm. together and you're like, oh, you're friends, are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to the extent of like mm-hmm. Sylvia and Eilunid in uh, Strong Poison who are as textually lesbian as you can be in the 90s, <laughs> but like, you know, other yeah, characters and other... I also just love how code there is in their aesthetics and yes. their language and... There is nothing not lesbian about these characters. It's incredible. It's so uh, good. Again, we, it isn't gay, but we don't have a good category for me to cap- cackle over the couple who were definitely shagging in the tent in episode three. Like, they were definitely shagging in that tent. They nothing were. can convince me otherwise. They went out to the moors for a sex holiday in a, in a tent, and as a Which, result, in they itself, were killed by some stones. Isn't straight. No, it's not, it's not straight to be killed by big stones. <laughs> Uh, so we've got some evil gays in the flying sparkling justice machines definitely bad gays who don't understand the law yeah. are they a reflection on the the toxicity of parts of queer culture they may be a say. reflection on the problems of law being applied by uh, amoral beings where they go well this is the law and as a result we will apply it unilaterally and with no nuance, nuance? whatsoever that? law can be bad <laughs> my uh, big thing um, you've got lots of ace doctor fuck moments yeah. i would agree lots of it i think four plays the doctor incredibly ace there's a lot of not understanding women to a comedic effect but there's also just it there's such an absence of sexuality and sensuality yeah um, i love it it's a beautiful portrayal of asexuality indeed um and then finally we have and a we quote should talk from about my it more, dad for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read this as we were about to start the segment and I tried to not die on audio. Yeah, um, my father, as because uh, Romana gives Professor Romford a kiss on the cheek and my dad said it's obvious that she craves Romana's lithe and supple body. <laughs> my dad... Um, I a, mean, same? Yes, a 57-year-old lawyer um, <laughs> understands. Beautiful. You're one of these television chaps, then? I am no sort of chap, sir. Quick gender. Yeah, sometimes I wish my gender presentation was just floating lights, but what can you do? What can you do, indeed? Yeah, I was looking at this, like, I'm sure I've had some gender envy this episode, and I realised it was for the the blobs of light, which, you know, gender presentation is wild. Indeed it is. Do you know what else is wild? Um, is it while riding on a moving stone? Oh, yeah. Jumping on and getting like a little, yeah, just going on a little, like, rock road trip to Wife City. Sure, lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman. Hey. A lovely little obvious wife number one. Yes, Romana. Thank you, Ogree, for giving us that that trip. Please do not steal our blood. Yes, thank you. Um, she is so sexy and competent, and she's beautiful, and she dresses incredibly, and I just, oh my god, she's so perfect. (laughs) She really. There's that bit, and like in a. You know, gun, gun. No, no, I'm just like, she's perfect in an imperfect way where she's still kind of like, you know, oh, bitchy yeah. and good. And I'm like, yes. But I also love that about her. I Absolutely. love that she's allowed to have that. I think that's what makes me love her more. She does not need to lessen that yes. or minimize herself. And that alone is sexy. Hell yeah. Um, I really like her little bit at the very start of the story where she's snarking about using puzzles to put the key to time together. Uh- <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. She's good. The Doctor has no spatial reasoning, and it's like, fine, not everyone can. <laughs> um, and even locked up in a space prison cell, she is composed to the last. She's like, oh, hey, Doctor. Um, I'm glad you finally turned up. I was going to have to get myself out soon. <laughs> is there anyone better than Romana Wan? Probably, Probably, but she's right at the top of the list at the she's moment. She's very Because good. I've just watched her. 
We should do a special she's episode, very, very which is good. a Romana one, like a Wife City special, which is a Romana <laughs> one versus Romana two wife. Oh off. my god, no! We're gonna see that after. We <laughs> yeah, watch I mean, them. I know that oh the ultimate answer would just be Both. is it polyamory if they're the same person? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, Professor Amelia Rumford next up could not decide on a spelling yes. for this one because the subtitles on Britbox were different, and I was like, you know what? Whatever, let's just use both. Love an intelligent, grumpy old academic. Um, yeah. She's very knowledgeable about her subject. She's got a lot yeah. to say. Um, she attempts to be done. She the got kids arrested for carrying an offensive funny. weapon. Yes, I will. Lo- I-, I will love her forever. She brought a truncheon to New York in case she got mugged, and she did. <laughs> and then they but just she got did arrested. get arrested. <laughs> Oh, I love her. And a, an old yeah. battle axe. Definitely the sort of like adore. elderly distinguished lesbian I would like to be. Yes, absolutely. Then we have uh, Vivian forward slash Kaliax forward slash Kasser, or however you say it. Um, evil Sasser, wife. Yeah. Evil wife, evil wife, evil wife. We haven't had an evil wife in quite a while. No, we haven't. Um, probably since more no, games. No, we've, had a, we've uh, definitely had an evil wife since Who then. would have it been? Not, oh, Tegan. Evil the Tegan. Evil Tegan. Yeah, evil, evil Tegan. Tegan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, evil wife. Evil wife. Like, Vivian is already very cool and, like, sexy and stuff while she's good. But as soon as she's evil, you're like, ah, now this woman hates men and she's doing something about it by yeah. using the blood. It's very powerful. I also <laughs> love the reveal of her being ageless with the paintings. Yeah. That alone so is very... It's almost like she left them there intentionally as well. Yeah. Which is quite funny to think well, about. Well, they hid them so that, I guess they wouldn't figure it out and it's like what are you talking Perfect. about i mean if it were me i would just one. hang all these different portraits of myself in my house of course you would and if anyone asks i would just be like yeah i just think it's funny to commission people to portrait me from different areas <laughs> yeah. well Isn't it is kind it? of funny um martha the freeze maid slash mistress yeah i'm mostly putting her in here to marvel at the quantity of women do- in the serial. there's so many women <laughs> really are. do also love that she didn't want to do a murder yes that's a quality i look for in a principled wife. <laughs> so many wives all talking about the plot together without the doctor in sight. Very revolutionary. All the women owning the land, except that then I found out it was a long line of the same girl <laughs> boss owning the land. I love Doctor Who so much. Long line of the same girl. <laughs> Constantly faking her it's... own death. I or guess. just like disappearing for two years and coming back with a different persona and hoping nobody will ask. Yeah, classic vampire. God, shit. I love her. So we've got, we've got oh, a lot of wives. Yeah, rich and full wives. This is the section. most populated the city's been in a while. Yeah. Well, you know, people can come 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 through whenever they wish. There's probably some other people hanging out still from the last. Couple <laughs> I've of wondered if, like every time we bring a character to Wife City, they just stay. There. Certainly, a version of them will. There's That's a lot true. of versions and we, available. I would imagine we've wiped the same companions many times. Yes, <laughs> we just turn up again and we're like, oh, again, <laughs> again, you wife again. Yes, me? it's an enduring love. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. Alright, this is the 100th Doctor Who story, airing just days before the show's 15th anniversary. Um, this sh- story originally aired um, from November, th- from the 28th of October to the 18th of November, Ooh, spooky. 1978. Spooky! Spooky time! Um, there was a need to fill time in one episode, so thinking about that whole anniversary, birthday, centenary thing... Um, Tom Baker, Mary Tam, and the director, and I think the writer, came up with a scene where they throw a birthday party for the Doctor. Yes! Oh my god. Romano, yeah, where Romano gave him a new scarf and K9 came in with a cake on his Aww. back. Producer Graham Williams wanted this cut. 
His reasons included, we can't see the doctor eat because that would also mean he had to use the toilet. My mother pointed out that he also eats jelly babies. He eats jelly babies. He drinks sherry in episode one. Um, But they'd already ordered the cake by this stage, so they just ate it at the wrap party. (laughs) I love it. It's really... I wish we'd had this scene. I think that'd be... It would have been his 750th birthday. Oh, love it. I wish we had that. Um, the location that they used to film DeVries House was actually a business college. As a prank, during location <laughs> filming, some students removed the TARDIS prop and relocated it to the nearby quarry, which oh is brilliant. Um, they just borrowed a van and took it down to the quarry, but they were filming at the quarry <laughs> the next day anyway. So, Because of course they were. I love that so much. This is also a really cute um, location story. So when Tom Baker was filming on location with the remote-controlled canine, John Leeson, the voice of canine, was in a van some distance away, providing canine's voice over a loudspeaker for Baker to act to. During a break in filming, using the two-way radio setup <laughs> for feeding Leeson's voice to the set, Baker was seen by onlookers to be sitting down with canine Aww. and doing the Times crossword puzzle. Leeson discussed the puzzle with Baker, remaining in character. Oh my god. I know, isn't that? Like, imagine just walking past, like, the raw right stones for your daily walk and seeing Tom Baker and K9 doing the crossword together. (laughs) That would be amazing. Oh, Oh, I might have to do fan out of that. Life goals. Isn't it just? Um, This is the one that you throw into the dock, which I fucking adore. According to an interview with Louise Jameson for the website Broadway World in 2018, Beatrix Lehrman, who played Professor Rumford, when she was at the Royal Shakespeare Company, gave her the acting advice Never stand where you can sit. Never sit where you can lie down, and never fuck a bad actor. <laughs> Words to live by. True. Yeah, she just sounded absolutely incredible as as a person as well. Um, Beatrix Lehrman accepted the role because she loves dogs and she wanted to know how canine worked. Hell yeah! So love that. Love that she got to have quite a few scenes with canine yes. as well. Yes. Um, oh man. Right. Um, she got on really well with John Leeson, and at the end of filming, gifted him a 1930s camera because she knew he liked photography, and he'd taken a few like headshots for her. While they were on set. It's really sweet. Um, she sounds like a really cool person. Her career lasted from 1924 till her death in 1979, and she was the first female president of Equity in 1945. Um, apparently, she imitated Tom Baker into not. In, she intimidated Tom Baker into not messing about in rehearsals. Hell yeah! And it just sounded like everybody really enjoyed working with her. Very cool. Everyone had good stuff to say about her. So I'm glad that, as well as being, like, playing a character of distinguished lesbian, I would like to be. (laughs) She sounds like a person it's worth aspiring to be as well. Absolutely. Um, The scene where the Ogri absorbed the blood of the two campers was inserted at the last minute to dispel any comedic notion (laughs) that the Ogri might only kill by falling on people and crashing them to death. It would also be great if they did, though. (laughs) Bonk. Just bonk them, yeah. We've got a lot of stone bonking, you know. There's the bit in... <laughs> there's 10, the bonking 000, in the tent. There's the bit in 10,000 BC... Yeah, there's the bonking in the tent. There's a bit in 10,000 BC where the Doctor tries to hit a caveman over the head and kill him. There's a bit in Mordred Undead <laughs> where Tarlo tries to do the same thing to five. There's, there's a bit in the bonking. demons where the policeman's going to bonk... Yeah! Um, um, Damaris... What's her face on Damaris. the <laughs> Yeah. Caveman, whatever it is. Oh my god. Miss um, Hawthorne. Miss Hawthorne, my love. Um, I'm sorry I forgot your name. So the Megara were originally displayed. The, the, the Megara were originally depicted as floating metal orbs. This was then changed to floating lights because it was deemed too sim- similar to Star Wars. I mean, I guess it would look kind of like the bit in A New Hope where 
Luke is doing the lightsaber practice, mm. but I'm not convinced. I, mean, I imagine this was at a time when they were just desperate to not be compared to a very high budget fr- franchise. And I can't blame them. Um, and we're, we're going to round this up with a brief history of British Standing Stone folklore by me, age 27 and Yay! a half. It's very brief because I haven't had massive amounts of time, but here we go. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are in the UK, but for those of you who are, we have a lot of these, mostly in the southwest of the country. Hell yeah. The furthest east one is the Rollright Stones um, in Warwickshire, where this was filmed. And it's also 45 minutes drive from where I live. Um, They're Neolithic, most of them, so that's like Bronze Ages. And there are various theories about why they were born, what their significance where they were built and what their significance was but generally they were um, places of probably religious significance in settlements and quite close to burial mounds um, but yeah so I spent quite a bit of time at the Royal Wright Stones where it was filmed because it's so close to me and I absolutely love it it's really peaceful um, there are a couple of smaller stone circles as well as the larger one and a few burial burrows too um, the myth there does involve the um, whole if you count the stones you get a different number each time which is cool i have tried it i have got a different number of stones three times in a row but i'm bad at maths so don't take my word for it um, <laughs> part of the folklore there as well is that the the main the big circle is called the king's men because the king was traveling through and a witch got in his way and he was like fuck off and she was like no you're turning to stone and that's what she did and each of the stones is meant to be one of the king's knights and at mid, at, like as the sun comes up on midsummer, I think they're all meant to come to life for like half an hour. That's a very botched retelling of that myth. But alright, I'm just I'm on a website um, called stone-circles.org.uk forward slash stone forward slash beautiful. You can also get the stone circles annuals, which come out every year. Um, similar to the crop circle annuals. Love it. Um, there are also lots of stories about people getting crushed by standing stones. Um, in Avery, Wiltshire, which also inspired some of the story, um, again, some stories about stones moving around. It's a much, much larger stone circle than Rollright stones. It sort of encapsulates this tiny hamlet, so you've got about ten houses and stuff in the middle of the stones, a church. It's, it's much larger. Um, but a travelling barber in the 1300s got crushed by the stones at some point and was only discovered when the stones were charted in the 1800s. But that still allowed for 500 years of local legends about people being crushed by stones to appear. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, it's also really cool how they like managed to figure out he was a travelling doctor because of the type of scissors he had, because of the money that was in his purse, that sort of stuff. That is very really cool. cool. I have uh I'm I'm scrolling down this list. It would seem that there are quite a lot of stone circles yeah. in the UK. Who would have guessed? Um there's some in Wales, some in mm-hmm. Scotland, some quite in a lot. Scotland. Uh some in Yorkshire, mm. some in Yeah, that's still Yorkshire. Oh my god, there's a lot in Yorkshire. Here <laughs> on Wil- now we're on yeah, now we're on Wiltshire. Okay. Stonehenge area. Yeah, we probably should mention that Stonehenge is one. Stonehenge. Right? Did we mention we haven't, Stonehenge? It's a stone circle. <laughs> um, You've probably heard of Stonehenge. So Stonehenge is really cool. Stonehenge was they discovered relatively recently, originally built in South Wales, and then the entire settlement moved down to where it is now in Somerset and just bought brought the stones with them in quite a sophisticated method of moving it's them. Very cool. Obviously, very heavy. Really cool. Um, I've just now discovered that there's someone Dartmoor, and I really wish I'd gone to see them when I lived in Plymouth. But no, <laughs> can't have that anything. That was not too far days. from you. 
No, but you know, it's a faff it's a to pain get there. To get to. It's a faff. Yeah, but yeah no, I no love that story very much. Um, people getting crushed by stones. It reminds me very much of um, an image that was circulating on the internet several years ago of a man who had escaped being covered in lava at Pompeii, but then as he was running away, was crushed by a stone that hit him on the head, and then <laughs> they found his skeleton perfectly preserved, but with the stone still where his head was. And I think about it a lot because it's like this insane, <laughs> like like Looney Tunes, like Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote kind of image of a real man <laughs> who was really struck by a falling stone at Pompeii. And it's such an odd thought to be like, in his last moments, he really thought he'd escaped that volcano, and but then the volcano got him. <laughs> yeah. So that's a very brief um, history of like stone circles that did contribute something to to the story there's a lot of lore about them and a lot more archaeological theory as well as folklore theory so definitely check that out if you're interested very, very cool. cool gonna keep this website is this open. you for the next three days yes can't um, please tell me your greatest discoveries as you hyperfixate we'd all go except miss shaw oh just a minute i'm not gonna miss all no miss shaw have you never heard of female emancipation liz this time i think he's right as ever, I, I love it when they crib from existing folklore. Yeah, although Gog um, and Magog are just, they're not big stones. <laughs> they're not Ogri. Like, what is he talking about? Gog and Magog is something from maybe the Book they of were also big stones. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm having a look on Wikipedia from my understanding. It's like, Jewish tradition changed Gog from Magog to Gog and Magog. So the idea was that Gog was a guy and Magog was where he lived. So mm. in what way is that in any way related no to big stones? <laughs> Um, it's very old. I do oh, here feel we go. that... Go on, go Sorry, on. apparently there's a legendary giant in Welsh mythology called Gog Magog. Like, all one word, Gog Magog. Yes, that does ring a bell. Instead of Gog and Magog, which is what he said. Um, as far as I, I do remember. sort of feel that if you're using all of this as your premise, it makes sense for the solution to also come from a similar Absolutely. sphere, which is why the last episode feels so out of place. Yeah, it really feels like you should have some kind of pseudoscience techno babble about like the stones responding to a particular frequency, and then they play the frequency mm. and they like explode. Well, Stones being possessed by an alien life force that has yeah. been trying to find its way back home, but because it's so stuck in the stones, all it can do is survive by vampiring. Yeah, it's it's an odd one, but I did I did enjoy it. It's just strange, as you say, to go from folk horror to courtroom drama. Like there are very few things that successfully combine the two. The only one I can think <laughs> of is uh, Martin's Close, which is a ghost story for Christmas they did with Peter Capaldi. Mm. That was good. It's I on Brickbox. But you, you like the, the the flip side of that is again from a thematic writing perspective. If you're gonna do that, set it up from episode one, so it's not a complete surprise to the to the watcher. Yes, absolutely. Like if you set if you set up in the first one, oh no, we're going to have to take this to the international intergalactic criminal or court. You, you have a character. One of the secondary characters is a lawyer. And ends up out of their depth having to deal with going from a small legal land ownership squabble in rural Cornwall to a massive trial in space. Indeed. Which would then suit the themes of being out of your depth, not knowing what's going on. Thinking it's one thing, then finding out something else completely. Um, what what about yeah. your, your, your next little bit about the folk horror? Okay, so I will be taking over this segment because uh, 70s television in the UK was folk horrific as fuck. And that is my new term, folk horrific. 
to describe things that are folk horror or folk horror adjacent. So basically, um, it seems that kind of the rise of hippie culture and like the um, mainstreaming of stuff like mediums and the 14 times and like ancient aliens and ley lines and all that stuff you can get books about at Glastonbury seems to have proliferated into UK pop culture and media at the time in a way that I find really interesting. Like, um, perhaps Mm. I'm going to get to the one that I've actually watched at the end. But there's stuff like um, classic play for today, which was like this British TV film strand on BBC. Had there's something called Robin Redbreast. It had um, Pender's Fen, which is about it's like half folk horror, half like gay coming out story, journey of self discovery kind of thing. Um, it had Redshift, which is a th- a three stranded like time travel story about Roman times the civil war and present day or contemporary Britain and I'm like I need to watch that something called vampires something called a photograph all this stuff that's labelled as folk horror and you're like oh I need to watch all of this Um, there was a children's serial called Sky which was about like and it was about an alien but they landed in a forest and they had to like hide out in the forest and do you know spooky stuff like the, the alien had like mind powers and telekinesis various slightly horrific stuff there was, as I mentioned, the M.R. James adaptations for A Ghost Story for Christmas. Because M.R. James is, like, pretty definitive folk horror when you go back into, yeah. like, the origins of it. Because it's, like, you know, it's a guy digs something up he shouldn't have that is ancient and, like, unknowable and ends up getting his comeuppance. It's kind of like... And I don't mean this in an actual comparison sense, but it reminds me of the kind of influence that H.P. Lovecraft has on modern cosmic horror is what M.R. James has mm. on modern folk horror. Because it's, like... At least in the UK, because, you know, he's very much focused on that history of the land, history of the land and the people of the land coming back to haunt you in the present day. So, like, any modern folk horror that's set in the now, I'm kind of like, come on, guys, you've got it. You understand that this is (laughs) M.R. James. Um, Gay icon M.R. James. Uh, And then there was also Sapphire and Steel, which is a series of serials starring David McCallum and Joanna Lumley as these weird, never quite defined, like, alien entities that go and help people with ghosts. I have seen one, and it was very strange, and I was very scared and didn't understand what was going on, which I think is part of folk horror in its own way. Um... (laughs) There's also the BFI. I was looking on a BFI list of folk horror things and it did mention Image of the Fendal, so I've got to watch that at some point for the podcast anyway, but also generally. Um, nice. And then it also mentioned a film that I watched just a few days ago called Quatermass in the Pit, which I wouldn't personally have described as folk I've horror. I've seen that in several folk horror lists before. Now that I've seen it, I understand it a lot more because, again, it's about the history of a place coming back to haunt the people in it because it's about... I don't know if you know uh, much about Quatermass. Only a couple Quatermass of like, articles I've read about yeah, it. So Quatermass is Nigel Neal, icon, um, wrote the serial called Quatermass, the Quatermass Experiment in 1951, which is like lost. There's only like two episodes remaining of it, of six. And it's this like seminal horror serial. And it's about a doctor who is like working on his British rocket group and he sends some of his friends into space and they come back and like most of them are dead and one of them is horribly mutated into an alien form or whatever. That's not the folk horror one. The folk horror one is the third one, which was a serial on the on I think the BBC and then got made into a hammer horror film, which is what I watched. And it is about um, excavations that are taking place 
uh, due to a, an extension of the um, the underground, the London Underground, and they find these ancient skulls, and they're like, "Oh, cool! These skulls are like five million years old. This is amazing." And then they dig a bit further, and they find this metal that they can't seem to penetrate at all or like drill through. And they have to call the bomb squad in to excavate, it, and it turns out to be this alien spaceship that's like five million years old and has these nice. ancient dead aliens inside. But every time they go inside, this weird like telekinetic activity starts going and everyone's like, they're looking into the history of the area and it turns out that there's been ghost stories about it for hundreds of years. And you're like, ooh, Amazing. really good. Very recommended. It is on BritBox. Uh, yes it's it's really really good like it's a little bit talky but it genuinely the last 20 minutes are insane and like most nigel neal things it is secretly about how fascism is evil and we should not support it it also uh (laughs) linked to another nigel neal story it is about how uh materials can uh retain the memories of the people and places that surround it so it's kind of like a vestigia from rose of london thing um but the stone tape is about a similar idea i think i've talked about on the podcast before which is where like a place can record psychic impressions of terrible things that have happened there and then you know this woman which is a legitimate parapsychology yeah um... it's it's Theory. it's a whole it's a whole thing and it's very interesting. And then the very last thing which I started watching is this little TV, children's TV serial hey. called uh, Children of the Stones. I you know. have Children of the Stones? I have. Yeah, you've told me about <laughs> Many it. Many times because I've started watching it <laughs> and it is cool as hell. Oh my god, Children of the Stones. Everyone watch Children of the Stones. What's it um, about? So it's about a stone circle that is I think based on the Avebury stones. Mm. Um and like you start this you start the thing it's about a doctor like a a, a phd guy and his son who are going to this new this village in order to study the stone circle there um and they go in and from the off it's weird because they're like driving into the town and there's a stone in the middle of the road and they're like oh my god watch out and they look back and it's not a stone anymore it's a woman and you're like hang on what's going on here um drive further (laughs) into town and then they start like looking around the town and introducing themselves to people and then they pull out this painting that the son found at a junk shop which is of the stone circle but there's this like weird beam of light coming out the middle everyone's running away from the stones the picture they hang it up um everyone looks at it someone looks at it and immediately faints and you're like oh my god what's oh god. going on um, amazing i haven't finished it yet but oh my god it's so good and i do kind of know how it ends but i'm very curious to see how it gets to that point anyway it absolutely mm. slaps and i love it very much and i find it really interesting that it and the stones of blood are like almost contemporaries um because i think uh children of the stones is either 76 or 78 so it's fairly so new now, to this one. Yeah. yeah, fairly contemporary for us. It's really good, and it's fairly notorious for being creepy and weird. So Amazing! I shall <laughs> I very much recommend add it to the very long list of things to check yes. out. Yes. But before then, we can talk about feminism and Doctor Who. I wouldn't argue that this is a feminist story, but I would argue that the inclusion of so many prominent women with autonomy makes it significantly more feminist than a lot of other contemporary stories from this show. Proves they can do it. It's like Why is it such a rarity? It doesn't have deliberately feminist themes like some other stories do, where like the women characters are like, I'm a scientist because I wanted to be, and it's good for me to be a scientist, Mm. and you're like, I get it, but this is the only female character in the story, so like what are we saying here? But uh, the the casual inclusion of so many women is incredible, and you're like, Why do you not do it more? And again, you've got a woman who's a professor. Yeah. Another one who is her yeah. assistant, but then it's Somehow, like you know, Battlefield. who's also an ageless. Yeah, Battlefield was amazing. Like lots he of women. The old site, the old archaeologist dude to be a woman too, and John Nathan Turner was like, no, it's too many women. And it's like, no, it's not. 
<laughs> we need Fuck to address the balance. There's a problem if you think that three is too many women. The reason why they couldn't do it is because it was mostly written by men who didn't mm-hmm. think about it. But I'm very glad they, they didn't did in this episode. It. And I think, again, the critique is probably partly from we we live in an age where there is going to be more gender quota and more awareness and trying to make things slightly more visually or tokenistically balanced, if not completely balanced. Yeah. Yeah, it is completely legitimate to hate tokenism in media. It's just that at this point in Doctor Who's history, they're not even doing tokens. So you need something. But even that, and, and the fact something. that this is more than tokenism. Yeah, exactly. This is much better than tokenism. That's why it really fucking shines. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Doctor Who and feminism, there's many Doctor Who characters, and especially female Doctor mm. Who characters, who are fantastic characters. However, the stories that they are often featured in are not particularly Yeah, I think like, when we're further down the show, we can do a retrospective of Sarah Jane as a feminist icon discuss. Yes, absolutely. Because does the show allow her to be? Um, mm. But yeah, just wanted to raise that rather than discuss it. Indeed. Muzzly. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. The expanded universe. Oh my god, we're in hyperspace. Welcome to the world of the expanded universe. Um, I've decided to talk about Cornwall in the expanded universe because I miss it. I miss Cornwall. I love you. Um, <clears throat> so we have, I'm going to go through the ones with less info and then finish off with the one I have the most info on. So we have a couple of TV comic comics, which are um, a, like, it was like a magazine that was published in the 60s, 70s and 80s, which had a, a running Doctor Who strip. Um, which were notorious for being extremely out of character. <laughs> well, so we I mean, had, that's similar um, to the... the TOS Star Trek comics. It's because they were often written by people who had not been able to see the show and were just guessing with the Yeah, I used to own a Star Trek TOS uh, annual. I don't know what I did with wow. it. I did something with it. But yeah, so there was um, The Enemy from Nowhere, which had basically no information about it except that it was set in Cornwall. Um, there was a comic called The Tansbury Experiment, which was set in a town called Porthferriot, which I guess had an alien lighthouse or something because I could not be asked to comb the internet for a 1977 issue of TV comic. Fair, um, fair enough. There was also a comic called The Amateur, which is interesting to me because... It was a comic that was like about time shenanigans. Um, they were trying to return this guy to his own time, but then they ended up in World War One, and it was a whole thing. Um, but what's interesting to me is that it's a comic that was first published as a third Doctor story, but then they redrew just all the panels and lightly edited okay. it before using the same script for a fourth Doctor what? story. Like the original, okay. the original comic Why? had a farewell to a character called Arnold, who had been a companion for a couple of strips. Um, who was like a child time traveller from the 31st century, who the Doctor was like, you have to go home before you stop remembering your own time. Oh my um, god. But yeah, I just find that so interesting that they like would redraw strips that had the same story. Like, I find that Assume nobody would notice? Yeah, I guess so. Um, then we also have uh, a Candy Jar Books book called The Forgotten Sun. Candy Jar Books being the publishers of the Lethbridge Stewart Expanded Universe soup <laughs> it's it's great it's a candy jar um this one is a direct sequel to the web of fear and there's a guy who's pre- processing some trauma in bladeau in cornwall but i didn't get much more info than that because <laughs> i i would imagine that the editors of the tardis wiki a lot of them aren't buying the candy jar books books unlike me who buys them whenever i see them aka i bought them once at a charity shop <laughs> nice um, one day yeah. i will find more one day uh, we also had an audio called Beachhead, uh, which is, that's right, it's the Vaughn in Cornwall, <gasps> baby! The Vaughn? In Cornwall! 
Um, also, where else would they question. be, though? Um, this is an eighth Doctor audio. Are, are you saying the... that the Vords are lesbians? Um, I mean, they could be. This is in the uh, what collection is it? Doom Doom Coalition Two box set, uh, which I can't afford, so I can't give you any more information about this. You might can't, you might say I can't afford it. Afford. And then uh, one piece of trivia. According to the Doctor Who website, a non-valid source, by 2006, Cornwall was an independent <laughs> nice. republic. I yeah. mean, very likely could have happened in a different yes. universe. Yes, and then the final audio is, I want to talk about the Spectre of Lanyon Moore again because it is perfect and a legitimate classic of, of the... F- this is the sixth Doctor audio mm-hmm. with Dr. Evelyn Smythe, who I have for, 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 uh, forborn on mentioning until now because she is very much in the Amelia Rumford mould. Um, mm-hmm. In that she is perfect, but uh, <laughs> it is a six doctor audio with six the brigadier and Evelyn Smythe. Six and the brigadier meet for the first time, and the brigadier immediately <gasps> figures out who six is because he's like, "Who else would be wearing that coat?" And greet me by name, Doctor. <laughs> Evelyn gets heavily flirted with. Um, there's some alien fairies and a fugu. They do mention fugus earlier on in this serial. And as I was watching it, I realised that there's a lot of Stones of Blood influence in the Spectre nice. of Lanyon. Um, Am I locking into your Big Finish some... account so I can listen to uh, this later? I you believe it may well be on Spotify. Ooh, yeah, I do also have it better. on, uh, <laughs> I do also have it on the Big Finish though, because I bought it I meant to log into a mobile ago. ages. It's so also like currently on sale on the Big Finish website oh, nice. for a pound 49. Uh, Probably won't be when no, this goes No, it won't be. I'll delete this bit. Um, but yeah, and it has very good Dr. Brig content. Evelyn gets heavily flirted with, as mentioned. It's just a really good time. The acting is so superbly over the top. Just wonderful stuff. And I really, really love it. Amazing. Um, okay, I'll check that out. Yeah. And then finally, last but not least, we have the short trip of the episode, which is um, The Glan Strategy by Brian Dooley from Short Trip Snapshots, which I think is a collection we haven't visited before. Um, This is a story about social media trolls. Like, the aliens are being trolls on social media, but, like, they're sending these three estate agents extremely personal, vindictive messages that are claiming to be from people they know. Um... Which I really enjoyed. Uh, How, what, what year was this one this published? This was doing? in early 2000s, I would say. So it's all emails and texts um, and phone calls that they're getting that are, you know, preying on their deepest insecurities. And it turns out it's these big slug aliens, or snail aliens, pardon me, snailians, if you will, <laughs> um, that are trying to preempt how they would be able to cause infighting enough on Earth that Earth would destroy itself so that they could come in and um, take over once every- once the dust has settled after that. So they've been testing it on these three people, one of whom is Martin, who is not like our sweet man Martin from the Magnus Archives. He's kind of a prick, but, you know, he has a soft oh, underbelly. Okay. Um, and then there's Indira and there's Sheila, and they are having a bad time. They're all su- they all suspect each other is sending these horrible messages. And then the Doctor shows up, with Romana one, um, because he resents having nice. a job, so he has come off to have a little like side adventure. Um, Martin describes them when he sees them. Everything about him, the crazy hair, the pretentiously long scarf, the tatty coat, screamed out, Look how arty farty I am! Martin guessed he wrote novels, all of them unpublished. He'd met non-novelists before. They liked to corner him by the airing cupboard during a viewing and describe their rejected plots to him in bewildering detail. But on further scrutiny, <laughs> this bloke seemed worse. He looked like he wrote... Uh, he wrote pretty 
that was it. He was a poet who probably wrote long, turgid verse sagas based on Celtic <laughs> myths and always after several pints of homebrewed ale. Of course, that was never going to oh pay the mortgage gosh. or even for the homebrew kit, so he had to have a proper job too. Uni lecturer Martin Guest in something like pottery or fine art. And then he goes on to describe Romana as like heart-stoppingly beautiful and very sexy um, in a slightly misogynist way because he's a guy. Um, and then <laughs> the four is attempting to be a normal human and obviously his cover is immediately blown because Romana is terrible at pretending to be human. And Four is like, I can't believe you would suspect me and my delectable wife here. <laughs> it's very good. I felt insane oh reading it. Oh my god. Um, delectable yes. wife. Yes, and then the Doctor uses this magical device to text everyone at the same time. Uh, Happy times and places, lots of love, the Doctor, and then like 15 kisses. And then the Glan, who are the, the, wow. Glan, who are the aliens, uh, start sending the Doctor emails telling him that it's his fault that all of his friends are dead. <laughs> Um, there's like a, an exhaustive there's an exhaustive wow. list that includes like Brett Vion, Katarina um, various characters from various serials and you're like oof apparently just keeps going down and down and down oh my god wow. um, then there's a bit which I, I just need you to help me with it's, um, so said Martin the Glan are basically intergalactic edited I'm sorry said the doctor that last bit wasn't translated perhaps it's currently thought to be vulgar the TARDIS can be an awful old prude in certain time zones <laughs> Apparently, uh, whatever this horrible word was is a synonym for troublemakers. So I'm like, I don't know, pains in the ass. <laughs> rat bastards. Oh, rat bastards. That's a good one. Maybe tweet us what you think this could be <laughs> a euphemism for. Yeah, just tweet abuse as well. Uh, it has to be in context, please. Um, okay. But yeah, so it's pretty. It's a good short story. I enjoyed kind of the ongoing attempt by the main character to shield himself with his fragile masculinity and his two female co-workers are like for god's sake martin we know you're a nice man can you stop it with pretending to be a bastard please um so yeah it was Wild. it was interesting thank That's you the that was an expansive this i'm glad you think so shall we do some absolutely rankings. my ex of the week has to be hat placement of the week yes. in the beginning of the first episode the doctor's hat is on top of the, the right column yes oh, the uppy downy so bit good. and it's it made me laugh thank you for bringing so thank you week. for bringing back the uppy downy bit that's a really central part of our podcast <laughs> um my ex of the week is perfect special little boy of the week for canine mm-hmm. he is a very special and perfect little boy fault him very yes. good boy. Da, 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 da. Oh my god, what's that? Da, 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 da. Aim, help, it's getting closer! Six Degrees of Blake 7. This week, uh, we have mm-hmm. one very boring connection, which I've used before, which is that Mike McGovern and John Leeson were both in various roles in Blake 7, which is a degree of one. And then we have the really fun connection, However... which is the Stones of Blood has the word stones in the title, much like <laughs> the uh, classic, uh, I think, HTV children's serial, <laughs> Children of the Stones, which stars Gareth Thomas as Adam Brake, who also played Rod which Blake in Blake 7. Which means that you have been calling this guy Blake. Yeah, every time you. Text I keep me about calling it. him Blake. His name is Brake, um, which is very confusing. This was before <laughs> Blake Seven came out. It was while I was watching it, and I was like, "That can't be Blake. That can't be Blake." But it was. It was. He has a slightly posher voice, and he is playing a very mild-mannered physicist, which is very different from him in uh, Blake Seven as a revolutionary. He does have the range. I need to watch Blake Seven. At some it's point. very good. I need to watch more. Um, yeah, uh, that is six degrees of Blake Seven. What is your out of five? I want to give it. 
four plot relevant <laughs> portraits out of five. It's not perfect, but the bits yes. I love, I really. I would love. give it three and a half, very slowly yeah. moving ogres out of five. Beautiful. They are perfect to me. Um, where shall we put it on our <laughs> overall ranking? <laughs> ranking, as we say. Rankings. Yes, I've also started a new sheet on the spreadsheet for our yes, special episodes. Um, I've Nick given it a slightly different title. When That's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay, I would put this. Above Ark of Infinity and below the Curse of Paladon. Where would you put it? Happy Aim? with that. Excellent. Yeah, around there. <laughs> around there. I was thinking, like, does the pirate planet deserve to be as high as it the is? The pirate planet is great, though. It's true. Is the thing. Like, remember <laughs> so the between... parrot? His robot parrot that he has? Okay. He has Thank a robot parrot. Thank you for reminding parrot. me. Now I'm wondering why we haven't put it in the <laughs> Exactly. You understand. I get it, you I understand. Get it. Let me just move these. And do you want to look at the. Yes, I am looking it up. What we thinking for the Stones of Blood? I'm going to put it at about 49. I'm going to say 85. Let's okay. find out. 67. Oh, bang okay, in the middle. Bang in the middle. That is uh, above Rise of the Cybermen and below Smith and Jones and Marco Polo, which is interesting to me because Marco Polo is ah. like viewed nowadays as an extreme classic. Because no because one's seen, no it, one's in seen it memory. And they've seen the behind the scenes set photos of how beautiful and gorgeous the whole thing was, um, you know, designed. Do you mean that. Ian Chesterton's look? Sorry, I've lost it in the middle of all, middle of all my tabs. <laughs> Where were we? I think we were about to, to wrap Absolutely. up. So um, thank you once again for joining us for Reversing Polarity, a very gay Doctor Who podcast. You can tell us what you think of this episode on Twitter at PolarityPod or on Tumblr at PolarityPod.tumblr.com. Please do recommend us to your friends and drop us a review on iTunes. We want to keep doing this show and keep growing it and we like our egos being boosted when people listen. Um... You can talk to us as people rather than as the podcast entity on Twitter too. I am at Aim Tell Stories. That's O U I M Tell Stories. And Rosie can be found at Dot Sayers. Um, join us again next time where we're going to be discussing Earthshock. Now I'll never know if I was right. Actually, it's the Dominators. Sorry, everybody. We've fucked up the recording. This is Rosie six months later.